Well, as you guys know, we've been, uh, we've been going through a theme right now about different names of Jesus. And one of the things that's beautiful about God and, and how he relates to us is he actually is known to us by many different names, and each of those names represents a part of his character. It represents something that he provides, something that he is. And so when we relate to him by those different names, we're relating to a different facet of who he is. And we've been focusing on the person of Jesus and, and his different names. And today I want to talk to you about the fountain of living waters. Because one of the things that Jesus is, is he is the fountain of living waters. In Jeremiah 2.13, God is speaking to the people Israel. And he's, he's talking to them. He's actually rebuking them because, well, here's what he says. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You've forsaken the fountain of living waters. And why, why did Israel do that? Well, probably because Israel is human people, just like us. And they responded to life, they responded to the frustrations of life, to the challenges of life, to the temptations of life, and what they did was they hewed out cisterns that couldn't hold water. And what does that mean? What is a cistern? A cistern is a container. A cistern is a container that you store water in. And they traded the fountain of living waters, everlasting, endless, ongoing waters, and they traded it for a container that they could store a little bit of water in. And he says, in fact, they're not even good cisterns. They're broken cisterns. They leak the water. And you've exchanged that for being with me the fountain of living waters. But we know that he is the fountain of living waters. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that, but how many of us in our life have, have had those times, excuse me, I'm just gonna adjust this. It's, bounce, it's bouncing around on my head, sorry. That's, that's my fault. There are times that we've been through where we essentially decide that we can't count on what God has said or how he's bringing life to us. And we, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, we end up creating our own container to fill, to fill this life in, to, to allow the water that we need, the way that we're gonna make through this life, the, 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 the hope that we have, and we try to put it into something that's smaller than what he's brought. And I think we can all identify with that on some level. But he's the fountain of living waters. And with him, he fills us. We don't need a cistern. He fills us. We're the ones that he fills with living water. In John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26, I want to share with you about the Samaritan woman, and I want to share a few different thoughts about the fountain of living water. But let's just read this together. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. 
And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I speak to you. I who speak to you am he. It's a beautiful story. I want to point out a couple of things to you. The first thing I want to point out to you is that Jesus is speaking to a woman who has experienced many different things in her life. She has experienced several things that are counted against her in the season that she's in and in the season of life that she's in. Number one, one of the things that's working against her is that she's a woman. She's living in a time when women are not valued as equal to men, but in fact, pretty much owned by men. And she has not only been in that time born for an unfortunate time for women, but she's also, as it said, she's a Samaritan. The Samaritans are a group of people that were part of Israel, but then they went and they intermarried with other nations. And so the Jews don't interact with them. So essentially, they're like an unclean race, as it were, in the, in the eyes of the Jews. And so that's why she says, Wow, I can't believe Jesus, you a Jew, are talking to me, a Samaritan. You guys don't have anything to do with us. Because that, that's, we're, we're, we're basically an unclean religious group because of this. The next thing that we see is that she's been divorced five times. You, you know, you think about this, 
And in fact, not only has she been divorced five times, but also Jesus says to her, and the man that you're with, he's not, you're not married to him. I was thinking about this as I'm looking at the story of what this must have been like for this woman. Because when you think about what marriage is, when you think about when we join together with someone, it's a vision. It's a vision for the future. It's where two people come together and they say, I'm gonna commit to you and you're gonna commit to me and we're gonna build a life together. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna have kids together. We're gonna build wealth together. We're gonna make a home together. And our life is gonna be like this. And you think about all the romantic, beautiful things that we say to each other when we're getting ready to get married, right? When we're dating all the promises and plans that we have. You know, I think, about, <laughs> I think about some of the plans that I had with Karen that were so romantic and beautiful, and I'm so glad we didn't do like most of them because they were stupid because we were 17, but they sounded so good at the time. But even the things we didn't do together, we had a vision for what we would build, and any of us that, 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 that have been married, and, and some of us have been married and divorced, and you know what that's like on the other side is to say there was a vision that we had, and then that vision didn't come to pass. There was something that we thought life was going to promise, and then life didn't bring that promise. There was a covenant that I made with someone, and that someone is no longer there. And you, you got to remember that in this time, it wasn't that the women had the opportunity to divorce the men. It was that men could divorce their wife. So this is five times that this woman has been promised a future and a hope with the man and for whatever reason, the scripture doesn't tell us why, but we know that for whatever reason, whether it was death, whether it was divorce, whatever, well, it's actually, it says divorce, so it wasn't death. That's a good point right there, Joshua. That's deductive reasoning. So five different times, someone has said, I want to make a life with you. I want to make a plan with you. And Jason's laughing at me. And uh, I'm not going to look at him because then it'll distract me. Then they left her. They, they, didn't, they didn't follow through on the promise that they had made. And in fact, now the person that she's with, and we don't know what the story is, but we know that he has not married her. Now, it could have been on her end. You know, at this point, she may very well be like, you know what? I've already been around this little merry-go-round. So I'm thinking, we'll just shack up. I don't know. Could have been her idea at this point. She may have, she may have started living in a little department called the Department of Lowered Expectations and is like, I can't deal with... A, a vision of a happy marriage with you because I have already tried that five different times. And, and I think what we're going to do is we're just going to stay happily together and it'll hurt less if it doesn't work out. Now, you guys all know that's still a lie. It still breaks you in half. But regardless, we don't know, but we do know this, that this woman knows what it is to be rejected. This woman knows what it is to have a plan for life and then not see that plan come through the way you thought it was, to see a vision not realized. And this life does that to us. This life, this life does that to us. Jesus doesn't make any uh, promises to, to us that that's not the case, okay? It says, as, as surely as sparks fly upward, man is born into adversity. And by man, that means mankind. All of us are born into adversity. We, we have pain in this life. We have disappointment in this life. And this woman has had more than her fair share of it. And Jesus is speaking to her. And, and, and I, I think about the fact that she's not married to this person, and this is an inference, but, you know, I think probably it wouldn't be that hard for us to see that she's lowered her expectations of what she can get out of this life. So she's not looking. She, she, she has probably had to settle for a broken cistern to hold what little bit of hope 
what little bit of hope that's left to get through this life. And she's here at this well, and here Jesus shows up on the scene, and he says, give me a drink of water. And she says, I can't believe you're even talking to me. And then he says, I could give you waters, I could give you living waters. She goes, I could use some of those living waters. And Jesus, it's incredible because he asks her this. He says, call your husband. Now imagine for her in that moment, here's hope again. Here's this crazy anomaly that a Jew is talking to a Samaritan woman. So it's like, this, this is a weird day for her. Wow, this Jewish rabbi is sitting here talking to me. And then he says, I can give you living water. And it's like, you know what? Because I think you, you, guys, you guys have all come into Jesus's presence. You all know what it's like when Jesus's presence shows up and you're just like, man, I feel like hope's breaking through. I feel like hope's breaking through. I don't know what's going on, but I'm daring to hope right now. I got a broken cistern, but there's something about this man, Jesus, that I'm starting to think that maybe something good can happen. And then right in that moment, he says, go call your husband. Just, can you imagine just the piercing your heart, right? It's like for us, like that's her place of greatest shame. I've been rejected five times by five different men and I live in the same city and they, everybody knows it, right? It's all five strikes, you're out, Samaritan girl. I, I don't know what they called her. But here it is, here's hope and then boom, boom, go call your husband. And she says this to him, this is amazing. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. What you have said is true, he says to this Samaritan woman. And look at the kindness of Jesus. What you have said is true. Then he goes this. So you, he says this. You did great. You told me the truth. What you just said is true. And then he skips. He, let's, let's skip forward. He says, believe me. Um, he says, oh, she says, I perceive you're a prophet. They worshiped on, in Jerusalem, etc. But Jesus says to her, woman, believe me. Woman, believe me. The hour's coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Hey, woman, believe me. Those things you're talking about, it's even better than that. You won't have to do that. And he goes further. He says, what you said was true. He says, but the hour is coming. And now, and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Hey, woman, you just told the truth. You're exactly the kind of worshiper that, that my father's looking for. Hey, woman, you just told the truth about the most shameful, broken part of your life, the broken cistern that won't hold water, and, and you just told me the truth about it. And you know what I'm looking for? Well, you know what my father's looking for? People just like you. People just like you. And he says, for the father is seeking such people to worship him. He's looking for people just like you. And God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth, and the woman said to him, and I, I feel like you can see the hope emerging again, right? She says, the Messiah is coming. He's the Christ, and when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And then I, this has to have been the most beautiful thing right there in that moment, because he goes, it's me. <laughs> it's me, I'm Jesus. That must have been so cool for him to get to do that. And it must have been so amazing for her to go, I, I have I dare to hope that when the Messiah comes, he's gonna explain all things I who speak to you am he. Jesus, the fountain of living waters. I'm talking to you right now. Now, I wanna, I wanna take you to Isaiah here. I'm gonna read you a little bit of this because Jesus is actually fulfilling something extraordinary. 
a promise that he made. Unlike the vision of these five husbands, unlike the life that breaks us up sometimes, how many of you have been caught up in the gears of this life? How many of you have been caught up in the gears of this life? It wasn't even something you did. You just got caught up in the gears of this life sometimes, right? It happens. It happens. And when that happens, we get tempted to lower our expectations and to start digging out our own cisterns and coming up with this new way of dealing with life because we go, I don't know if I can hope for these living waters, this endless hopeful thing that you're talking about, Jesus. I'm getting kind of tempted. I'm getting kind of tempted to dig out my own cistern and just store enough to get by, enough hope, enough living water to get by. I don't know if I can handle the idea that you have these this fountain of living waters because you know what? I'm not feeling that right now, Lord. I got, divide, I got divorced five times already, Lord. The man I'm with right now won't even marry me. You know, whatever it is in your life, but I guarantee all of you have been bit by the same dog five times at least, right? All of you have dared to hope in the same direction and got kicked square in the heart at least five times. And the person you're with right now or the situation you're with right now, you're like, it ain't looking good. So we can all identify that that's part of what this life is. And, and when that happens, when that happens, there's a temptation to do just like Israel did and to start digging out our own container. We, it's a smaller container and it's, it's the stuff we can understand. It's the stuff we're really good at. It's the stuff we quote all the time, right? It's like, well, you know, whatever will be, will be. Will be. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Well, you know, I guess that's how life is. That's not what he said. Are you guys with me? And we end up with these cisterns and they don't hold water. By the way, when you hear that phrase, oh, that, that don't hold water. We're talking about broken cisterns. It came from the Bible. <laughs> but Jesus is speaking to her. And, and I believe, so I want to I read you this promise, okay? Here's the promise. It's in Isaiah chapter, oh, I'm getting really fast again. I'm so sorry. Okay, slowing down. Here we go. All right. You, you know, you should just like slap me is what would be good. That would be good. Are you, are you signing this right now? Yes, I love it. Okay, it's good. What I would love is if Sarah would say, Joshua, you're doing a really good job. No, I mean it. You're doing a really good job. <laughs> I feel like I just discovered a new fun thing to do. <laughs> Isaiah 11, 1 through 4. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Now listen to this. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or dis decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Who's he talking to? This is the fountain of living waters at the well talking to this woman, this Samaritan woman, this five times divorced Samaritan woman who has a man that won't marry her. He's, he's talking to someone who has not gotten equity, someone who is not, someone who's poor, at very least poor in relationship. She's there drawing water. I dare say she probably was poor. And here's the root of Jesse doing the very thing he said he would do hundreds of years earlier. And it goes on, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner for the people, 
Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet again to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a banner for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. What is he doing? What is he doing? He's doing it right there at the well. Jesus is fulfilling this promise to a dispersed person, to a banished person, to a person who is intermarried but still part of God's promise and heart. And Jesus is there saying to that Samaritan woman, I am he. I am he. I am he, and I can give you waters to drink, living waters that will actually spring up as a well of salvation in you. I'm here, and he's keeping that promise. He's right there, and he's doing it with her. Isaiah 12 says this. Okay, so you just saw what the root of of Jesse is doing. Jesus Christ, the, the fountain of living waters, is keeping his word to a woman who's had a whole life full of people not keeping their word. He's keeping his word that he gave hundreds of years before, I think thousands actually, but not thousands, but quite a bit, okay? A long time, a whole lot longer than us. And he says, in, in, uh, you will say in that day, Isaiah 12, you will say in that day, this is, this is following that promise being fulfilled, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Listen to this. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Did you catch that? He's at the well. He's with the Samaritan woman. Now, when Jesus gave us the gospel, he had to go first to the Jews then to the Samaritans, and then to all the world. And when he went, what did he say to the disciples? Go to Jerusalem, preach the gospel of the kingdom to all of Jerusalem, then Samaria, then all the world. And Jesus is doing that right there. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom and giving salvation and living waters to this Samaritan woman. And we know the story of what happens after this, don't we? He says to her, I am he. And she goes and she does this very thing. She makes known his deeds among the people and proclaims the name that's exalted. She runs back to Samaria and says, come meet the man who just told me all that I've ever done. And it says, and many were saved because of what she said. She immediately did this. Now, I believe, because I want you to understand, this woman, I've heard a lot of things taught, and and I think there's a lot of good messages about this story but I don't like the ones that treat her like she's some kind of idiot, some kind of rube, some kind of knucklehead. She wasn't. This woman knew her stuff. This woman knew her stuff. She says, it's interesting that you is that you were talking to me. And then she says, uh, she says, oh, I perceive that you're a prophet. She knew enough to say, give me some of these living waters. And then when he said, I'm going to give that, she says, okay, well, wait a minute. You Jews say that you're supposed to worship here, but We say we're supposed to worship here, so what is it? She's asking, she's probing, she's seeking, she's informed. And then he says, you, you will get to worship me in spirit and in truth. I think that God was speaking to her about scriptures that she knew. That God was coming to her at the well, talking to her about wells of salvation. And then she went and she fulfilled this scripture. Now here's here's the part that I want us to understand is that we have the same temptations to settle 
for digging out cisterns of our broken experience and just lowering our expectations down and trying to survive. It's like, well, Lord, I'm just, if I could just stick here and not like lose my faith until you come and redeem all things, then that'll be enough for me. Well, none of us started that way. None of us started that way, but something happened, something happened where things began to change and we began to dig out our own cisterns. It's like, well, I know you said this, but man, my experience has been this, so... You know, it's, it, I don't know that we even usually make a conscious decision so much as a subconscious decision. Like, you know, I, I like that phrase, right? The department of lowered expectations. I got a birthday card one time. It was one of my favorite, and it said, have an adequate birthday. This message brought to you from the department of lowered expectations. And I think that happens in our lives. And why does that happen? Why does that happen? Well, I think I explained why it happens, but I want to talk to you about something that's interesting. Uh, whoa, 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 come back. He wants me to rate it right now. So selfish. I want to read you something about dehydration, right? He's the fountain of living waters, and we know that everything that we see, the physical, speaks of the invisible. So I just want to contrast this, and then we'll, we'll pray together. Why would we choose cisterns that don't hold water instead of the artesian well of living waters? Why would we settle for that? Now, here's an interesting parallel. In my recent blog, I included hydration as my, in my top three, and the first really big misconception that many people have is that they're already hydrated because they're not thirsty. Generally, most of the time, this is false as the thirst mechanism itself is one of the first things to disappear during chronic dehydration. Why would the body eliminate the first mechanism if hydration is so important? And I recently explained it this way to a patient. As the body goes into a state of dehydration, it goes into survival mode and will progressively sacrifice more and more critical life functions in an attempt to preserve its most vital ones. Think of the plant life in a desert as opposed to a tropical region. The precise function of the sharp spines of the cactus includes the preservation of moisture. This is very different from the lush, abundant, carefree nature of the tropical plants, which do not need to focus much energy into adapting their water capture and retention mechanisms. The same comparison holds true for every cell in our body, which is dependent on abundant hydration. As we become dehydrated, our cell function shifts more to a desert-like condition, and the normally permeable and flexible cell wall becomes hardened, in part to be able to conserve as much water as possible. Doesn't that sound familiar? Do not harden your heart. This is necessary for survival, but Many of our healthy functions are reduced or killed in the process. The peasants always get sacrificed before the king. You could say that the cells lose their trust in having an available source of water, and so the thirst mechanism becomes superfluous at this point. Let me read that again. The normally permeable and flexible cell wall becomes hardened in part to be able to conserve as much water as possible. This is necessary for survival, but many of our healthy functions are reduced or killed in the process. 
you could say that the cells lose their trust in having an available source of water. And so the thirst mechanism becomes superfluous at this point. Doesn't that sound just like us? Hewing out these broken cisterns because we don't actually expect to be continually hydrated by the living waters brought through the Holy Spirit. The fountain of living waters. Jesus Christ gives us everything that we need. But as we experience this life, we can find ourselves lowering our expectations and even losing our thirst for the living waters themselves. Likewise, when my patients begin to correct their habits and they begin to rehydrate themselves, the hardened, dehydrated cells do not have the capacity to absorb or retain a healthy amount of water. So they find themselves in the washroom, that's bathroom, there's a fancy way of saying it, at greater frequency. The mistake here is to think that you're drinking too much water, and the key is to keep pushing through this phase until the cells relearn how to absorb the water and start to restore the healthy functions which were sacrificed along the way. The natural thirst mechanism returns, and then a point is reached where it is no longer necessary to use your willpower and habits to force yourself to drink, but your natural thirst mechanism will drive you to do so without having to think about it. A thirst for life will ensure hydration at all levels and not just the cellular. Is that not a beautiful parallel between the physical and the spiritual? And what I want to do this morning in closing is I want us to understand that we are not expected to function without the living waters. The living waters is the Holy Spirit. When Je see, Jesus is the fountain of living waters. And in John 9, it says, and when he spoke of the living waters, I will give you living waters, he was speaking of the Holy Spirit who had not yet come because Jesus had not yet ascended to the Father. But when he did ascend to the Father, we were sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the living waters. He's the one that teaches us all things. He's the one that forms Christ in us. He's the one that comforts us, counsels us, convicts us raises us from the dead, just like he rose Christ from the dead. He is the artesian well. And without him, all these other things happen. We become hardened. We look for ways to contain all these different hodgepodge pieces, these waters that will never satisfy and cannot bring salvation. We limp along being more and more hardened with a lowered expectation of life and even get to the point where we don't even thirst for the presence and the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. And how many of us can identify with that right now? I said in first service, my greatest challenge is I always wanna fix things with words, but you know what? It doesn't work. I can teach knowledge and that's helpful and that's, that's part of my job. But what we need is the fountain of living water to fill us with the Holy Spirit. You guys want to do that this morning? I want us to trade our broken cisterns today. I want us to terminate our department of lowered expectations in this life. And I want us to drink heavy and deeply and allow those living waters to fill us and to overflow because he will never, ever stop pouring into us. So let's stand to our feet and let's, let's close with a, with a prayer.
And if, if you want to, I'm just gonna kind of open my hands up like I'm about to stand under a waterfall. And if you wanna do that, that's fine. But Father, we wanna thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ, the fountain of living waters. And Jesus, we thank you that you have come And just like the Samaritan woman, we stand here with our hands open, Lord, and in many ways completely empty. We've all experienced being ground up in the gears of this life, Lord. Not everything about this life is bad, Lord, but there are many broken things. And we stand here, Lord, first of all, aware of places where we've tried to dig out our own cisterns and to try to preserve what little water we have. And we want to exchange that now. We want to reject that. We want to get rid of our broken cisterns and our lowered expectations. And instead, fountain of living waters, we invite you, Jesus, to fill us with your living water, the Holy Spirit. We invite you into those parched places, Lord, where we've become so discouraged that we don't even go into that place. We don't even go into that, we don't even have hope there. We invite you into those cells that have become hardened. We don't even know how to receive refreshment or hope or life, but we're inviting you to come. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We need you. We need you to restore our natural, healthy thirst for life. And so if you're willing, I know I was praying on behalf of all of us, but if you're willing, I'd like to invite you to repeat just an invitation. Uh, I'm just gonna ask the Holy Spirit to fill each of us. So, fountain of living waters, I ask that you'd fill me with living waters. Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. God on earth, fill me afresh. Thank you. If you guys need prayer today or further ministry, Uh, The elders and the prayer team are coming forward and we'd be honored to pray with you. In the meantime, drink deeply and share the hope that you have. God bless you guys.